0: Alright, um, this week, of course, we'll be in Jeremiah 12. It's, I uh, thought was interesting, it's kind of a shorter chapter. It um, has a lot in it that's really good, though. Last week was, uh, our word of the day is, was application, right? Because uh, we learned uh, to, to stay in his word, uh, to reflect on, on his goodness and to take joy in the wonderful future. Before us in Christ, um, and I think one thing that I'm beginning to take from Jeremiah as a whole, and even in other scriptures, I'm seeing is that we can see Christ in all of Scripture. He's He's there. He's He He is the Word, right? And if He is the Word, then He is going to be in present in all of the Word because He is the point of all Scripture. All Scripture is leading us to Christ, uh, and this and this. Chapter I think for us I see no, I see n- no other uh, conclusion in it either I see we, we end up at, at, at Christ in chapter twelve though we begin to see something that may be familiar to to us uh, I know it's familiar to me at times um, we begin to see Jeremiah struggling uh, with some things uh, I think his heart is that he loves God. He wants to serve him, yet all the people around him may confess God, but they don't follow God in the least, and they seem to be prospering, and he's being trashed and and destroyed in in public, and um, I think our main uh, idea sentence kind of points us to a truth that I think we all need to know. Um. Our main idea of sentence is that we can respond to God when we feel forgotten. We can respond to God when we feel forgotten, and what's even better than that is when we respond to God when we feel forgotten, God will respond to us. Um, Stephen Smith uh, he starts with kind of an interesting uh, analogy in his uh, commentary on it, and I think it's 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 kind of good and kind of. Uh, interesting for for our modern day speaks to our modern day a little bit uh the gentleman who invented the like button on Facebook he's a 30 year old guy now he he's he's not that old but he inv- he's the one who invented the idea of the like button on Facebook and he no longer has the Facebook app on his phone he pu- he purchased a new phone he handed it to his personal assistant he said do whatever you have to do to make it so that I cannot download that app on my phone. And when he was asked about that, he said the temptation to live his life based on the likes was just too great for him. The idea of seeking a like on Facebook, he said it's just too much of temptation. And, it, and it, it started altering his kind of his uh, way of life in general, because he's doing things in his life, searching for a like. And he said, he, that's not a good way to live. And I thought that was interesting. And, you know, we may see a little of this in Jeremiah here. Um, he is, Jeremiah is clearly saying unpopular things. He is hammering uh, Judah. I mean, he's, he's getting after him. And he's unliked for sure. He's not getting any likes. He's getting that red face on Facebook probably because he's not saying things that are bringing him any type of accolade at all. And I think because of that, he feels forgotten. He feels like, well, nobody likes me, right? We feel that way sometimes. I feel that way sometimes. But I think he does the right thing. He takes it to God. He brings that that feeling of being forgotten and that feeling of being unliked And he brings it to God. And that's the right place to go with it. So some would say that's inappropriate, an inappropriate thing to complain to God about how he's feeling. But is it really? I don't think so. I don't think so based on Scripture. Lamentations, which is something that we may get into eventually after we get through Jeremiah. Lamentations is a book of complaints. That's what it is. And it's, in the, and it's in our holy scriptures, right? And let's look at another scripture that I think is a good, um, appropriate comparison here. Um, written by a completely different author. Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2 say, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? The author of that was David. So we see complaints, issues, uh, struggles being brought to God all throughout Scripture. And I don't recall ever seeing God say in response, don't you ever bring something like that to me again. Now, he may answer in a harsh way, as we're going to see, but he he never says, don't bring that to me. In fact, if you look, a third of the Psalms, which is what we were preaching through this summer, a third of those a third of the Psalms are complaints and precatories. God break the teeth of my enemy, right? I mean those those things are there. It's a question for David and pretty much for Jeremiah as well. And the question really is, how long do I have to wait to see it turn around and start going my way? And we begin to, we got to begin by really looking at what Jeremiah brings to God as a complaint. Um, Because to me, and and I agree, it's it's not just something he's just had a bad day and he wants to complain. I think he comes with an honest complaint. Jeremiah's honest complaint in verses 1 through 4 is very clear. And one thing that I notice, and I hope you notice too about that that complaint he brings, is that he is not disrespectful to God in his complaint. Not at all. Look at verse 1. It says, Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? So, First thing he does is acknowledges God's righteousness and holiness, right? So he brings a praise to God, actually, at the beginning of this. Um, another thing that we see is he says, I would discuss matters of justice with you. And I think because he knows that God is just um, and has all authority in matters of justice. God, God speaks to what justice actually is, not, not man. And Jeremiah is bringing this matter that he think is is a he thinks it's an injustice. He brings it to the God of justice. So, I think he wants an answer, and I think that he's bringing this because I think he knows who to bring it to. I think he knows that God is the God of justice, and He will answer uh, Jeremiah in the way that needs to be answered. And I think uh, that his question is similar to one that we hear a lot today in our in our culture is why are evil people prospering, right? I mean, that's something that has been on the minds of people for generations, throughout all generations. Why are the people who are so evil and, and corrupt and, and doing all these bad things, why are they the ones with, with everything? And, you know, us who are trying to do good, sometimes we struggle. You know, I think that's something that is, is kind of always at the heart of some of our thoughts and some of our own complaints. Now, Jeremiah has his own idea of what should happen to these people. And he expresses it in his complaint in verse 3. He says, But you know me, O Lord, you see me, and you examine my heart's attitude towards you. Drag them off like sheep for a slaughter. Set them apart for a day of carnage. He wants them slaughtered. He wants them wiped off the face of the earth. He wants carnage. He wants to see revenge and justice done in a swift and and, and, and dangerous manner. And I think here we have maybe a caution to our own hearts. Are we called by God to hate what God hates? Absolutely. We definitely are. But in doing so, we also need to approach it with the heart of the gospel as well, right? We want to share the gospel with those who are God-haters, right? Not not have them all slaughtered and wiped off the planet. Sometimes the ones who don't like us would like us all slaughtered and wiped off the planet. That's not who we are. We want everyone touched with the gospel that can be touched with the gospel. But as we know from what we've already read, God's plan is not a quick carnage, a quick wiping away. He did that in the flood. He had to start over. He knew that, and he did. And then he promised, I'll never do that again. I'll never wipe them all out with a flood again. But his plan here with Judah is not quick carnage and to, to destroy, to because he could have brought armies in and he could have wiped them off the face of the planet if he wanted to. But his plan is a long-suffering, patient plan, and the, the goal of that plan is to turn them back to himself, to, to bring them back in. And I think that we see even patience in how God answers Jeremiah here. He uses a lot of patience in answering the zealous Jeremiah who who has a complaint. He feels probably like he's all alone in the world because he's the only one speaking these truths. And he's going to be answered by God in such a patient way. God answers him in three different ways, and God uh, answers Jeremiah's honest complaint with a very honest response. Um, The first response that he has is in verses 5 and 6, and it is a personal response to Jeremiah. Listen to to verse 5. It says, If you have run with footmen and they have tired you out, And how can you compete with horses? If you fall down in a land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? So this is a direct challenge to Jeremiah. He's saying, if you can't handle persecution now, how can you handle what's coming? He's trying to, I think, call him back to give him a sense of, hey, get ready. You need to begin to endure now because it's going to get a lot worse. When the Babylonians ease on in, it's going to get a lot worse. And I think that's a personal response he has to, to Jeremiah here. He's saying, okay, look, we can't just talk a big game. We have to be able to endure through this. And if you're struggling with persecution from your own people because they're laughing at you and they don't like you and and they're prospering, and you're not prospering, you're not getting the likes that you want, how can you endure when the real hammer is dropped? And I think his second response to Jeremiah is a a corporate response to all of Judah. Based on what Jeremiah has brought to him about how the wicked are prospering, how they... They they say God with their mouth, but they don't they, they, they don't look like the people of God. They're not acting like the people of God. In verses seven and eight he says, I have forsaken my house. This is God speaking. I have abandoned my inheritance. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has roared against me. Therefore, I have come. To hate her. Now, as he speaks of, as God speaks of his inheritance, that's such a personal thing to say. It's about his people, it's about Judah. He's calling them his inheritance. And they've turned against him. They've roared against him like a lion in the forest, he says. And I think God is, is clear to Jeremiah here as to how he feels about his people who've turned against him. And he uses the word, the big one, the four-letter word, hate. God hates sin. He hates it with a, with with all that is within him. It is completely opposite of him, and he hates it. And because of that, I think God is trying to make it clear to Jeremiah, look, I have within my will planned out, and this is how I'm going to handle this. The result is this, and he's clear about the result. Their idolatry and their disobedience is going to have consequences. And... Verse 13 makes it clear what it is. He says, They have sown wheat and have reaped thorns. They have strained themselves to no profit. But be ashamed of your harvest, because the fierce anger of the Lord. His fierce anger is against them. And if there's anything in my life that I definitely don't want, it's God's fierce anger turned towards me. Right, And then, he goes from a corporate response to a future response. Now, this is very interesting in verses 14 through 17. Because God is going to uproot them. He's going to pluck them out of the ground, basically. That word uproot, he's going to pull them from their land, right? But, here's the thing. There's something amazing and so graceful in the fact that he says, I'm going to uproot them. Because this is what he says. He says, he will uproot them from their land to a foreign land. And that is for sure coming through the judgment coming through uh, that group of people that are coming to take them away, right? Yet, he also says that he will uproot them from there and plant them again in their own land. That is amazing. That's grace. That's, 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 that's beautiful. And really, if, if we're honest, we can look at that and we can see a picture of what happened to us. We were dead in our sins according to Scripture. We were sinful and in need of a Savior, right? And the way He saves us is He confronts us with our sinfulness the sin that is within us, as we talked about last week in in the sermon, the sinfulness of sin. When we realize the sinfulness of our sin, we must know that we need a Savior. So he confronts us with that. He uproots us from our self-righteousness, our our self-confidence of our I'm a good person. We realize I'm not a good person. I need God. He uproots us from that, and then he draws us to himself, he makes us brand new, and he roots us in the land where we should be. And that is, is, a, is a beautiful thing. The future response that he has, and he's very clear with Jeremiah about this, his plan is not just to take them out of their land and them to be enslaved and in judgment. His plan is to bring them back to himself and plant them again in the land that is theirs. And that is is grace beyond all grace. So I think in looking at this and and definitely seeing Christ in this, I think we have three points of application here. I think that the first uh, point of application, I hope, is something that could bring a little bit of, of, of peace to us in our time, in our day. When you feel forgotten, remember Christ's sacrifice and that there is a great, future in store for his children, and nothing is going to change that great future that he has in store for his children, no matter how rough it gets here. I've always thought of it this way, and I think it's a good way to think about it. What we experience here on earth is a blink of an eye when compared to eternity. Eternity is forever, and this life that we live here on earth is just the smallest fraction of that life that we live. Because of Christ and thanks to Him. Secondly, I think it'd be good for us to understand that God's justice will be poured out in some way for all human beings, uh, for a lot of them in the judgment. But for us who are in Christ, His wrath, His anger, was poured out upon Jesus on the cross and now we have been brought into his family as sons and daughters and we get his grace. And when he disciplines us, it's in the most loving way and he's turning us to himself. Lastly, and I think it's probably the most important point we can take from all of this. You see, at this point, Israel, Judah is looking at the fact that they are idolatrous, they're sinful, and the way that God is going to turn them back to himself is to pluck them out of, out of the land, take them into slavery, and then put them back in their land eventually. That's not how it is for us. Christ is our Savior. Christ will save us to the uttermost. He is able to do what was never truly possible in the time of Jeremiah. There was no Savior yet. But in all these pictures we see God is always going to redeem his people. And the greatest way he redeemed his people was through Jesus Christ and his work. And if we trust in Christ and in his work, we will be saved to the uttermost. And that is a wonderful place to be. So um, I pray that those points of application are something that you mull over this week. Just kind of think about the glorious grace of God this week. Our, um,